the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the big silence. Avi, what's been your favorite thing about um, today? Oh, my favorite thing about today... I went wake surfing with Malcolm this morning. Mm-hmm. It's always enjoyable. We were shredding mm-hmm. very hard. So out yeah. here in Austin. Getting very gnarly, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in Austin, it's uh, Lake Travis, and you can wake surf. And that's been Bobby's biggest thing lately. Yeah. Do I look like a DJ right now? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You look like Indiana Jones DJing. As a DJ. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think it's cool, like, if you give it one hand, you know. Mm-hmm. Hypes me up in my Kirkland signature. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, speaking of Malcolm, who you went wake surfing with, yes. that is Jeremy of the McCassey Brothers mm-hmm. that everybody knows. Jeremy interest, uh, introduced me to today's guest. Oh. You didn't nice. know? You, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Rafa De La Fuente. Mm-hmm. I got to say hello. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could have stayed a little longer, but just so busy these days. I know. I know. Mm -hmm. But this is a really good conversation. And Rafa, I had never met him in person before, but I've heard of him for years and years through Jeremy. And he is the nicest guy. I mean, we wouldn't Mm -hmm. expect anything less than that. Yeah. No jerks allowed on this podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. In our circle of friends, no jerks allowed. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, as long as you're a good person. Mm-hmm. Be as whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do. Don't but be an don't asshole. Go around being a stinky poo poo. You still have your mind on Pomeranians. I, I exactly. That's exactly <laughs> I know you're how envisioning I got there. all the shit we have to clean up in the house when uh, we get back. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so Rafa, he has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he is from Venezuela, went to college in Tampa, Florida, and currently on the show Dynasty. 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 Yes. Yeah. Going on his last season, or last season, yeah, 
and ready for his new adventure, which he's excited oh, cool. about. And he is an advocate for the LGBTQA community mm-hmm. and also an advocate for immigration. Oh, cool. So yeah. it's a really good conversation and a lot of good takeaways. So I am excited mm-hmm. for everyone to listen to this. Yeah, I'm excited to listen too because usually I get to sit in on it. But Emily was taking the reins and cracking the whip today. But I will be listening. And yeah, when you're talking about immigration, I was just thinking of uh, the JLo documentary we oh, watched yeah. last night with the halftime show. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Cool. And yeah, with this podcast, too, I just want to point out, I'm so excited we're getting it out in a timely matter so that it can still be released during Pride Month, which I believe should be every month, but it's just raising awareness and Rafa is a great advocate for this. So enjoy the pod. Cool. Can't wait to listen. Let's go. And thanks for having me. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right. And welcome, Rafa de la Fuente. I'm so excited to have you here on The Big Silence. I have heard your name through obviously our mutual friend, Jeremy McCassie, for many, many years. And ever since we started the, the big silence, he's like, you have to have Rafa on. You have to. And so I'm glad that we're finally here together. Well, I am very excited and happy and flattered that you would have me on your podcast, on your um, space, that um, I think is very important. Amazing that you're doing this. And yeah, just really happy to yeah. be here with you. Yeah, and so when Rafa and I start sweating profusely and dabbing, it's because I'm in Austin, Texas, and he's in Atlanta. <laughs> it's hot. So I have so many questions for you. I obviously uh, told the audience, you know, most of your background, but do you want to start a little bit about what it was like growing up in Venezuela? Yeah, sure. Well, Venezuela is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. It's a an amazing country with the most beautiful nature places that you could ever imagine. It's it's right at the top of South America. So we have the Caribbean Sea, but then we also have the Amazon and the last little tail end of the Andes. And it's just this beautiful place, this beautiful tropical paradise. But it is also a very Catholic conservative country. So I grew up with this dichotomy of uh, being in a place that is super tropical and um, full of life and joy, but also, you know, a gay kid growing up in a conservative space where being anything other than, you know, the norm or what was deemed, you know, good or right or normal was bad. I have a question. What, at what age did you realize you were gay? Um, I, I feel like I always knew uh, that I was different than what was, you know, normal, I guess. Um, I, I, I think I remember from when I was five that I felt like there was something inside of me that was different from what I was being told was normal. But I, I don't think I, I knew what that was because of course at five years old, you don't have sexuality. You really haven't developed that. Right. And so what year, um, what year was that though? You were born um, in 80s. So, I wait, think wait, that would have been like 90, 90s, 1990. Okay. Uh, yeah. No one's and really then, 
talking about it. Yeah. Openly. Yeah. Right. And it was right in the, you know, middle, well, not middle, but like, yeah, the middle of the AIDS epidemic. And, you know, it was a really charged time in history for gay people. Um, so there was, of course, a lot of suffering and a lot of fear around homosexuality. And of course, a lot of, you know, taboo and everything that we are still sort of, you know, fighting against or, or trying to navigate to use some more positive term. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think I always knew, but then, you know, of course, puberty hit and uh, hormones started flowing through my bloodstream and um, I, I just immediately, immediately felt attraction for the same sex, but it was something that I was incredibly afraid of and that I didn't accept and something that I, you know, felt a lot of shame for. And um, so, you know, for me, when, when, when people ask me that question of what it was like to grow up in Venezuela, I ha it's, it's, it's such a layered answer, you know, and it's, it's not one thing or the other, because a lot of my emotional memories of Venezuela are beautiful. And a lot of them are painful mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't come out until after I left. So in the so, U.S. Yeah. In the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I lived in Venezuela, I wasn't being the most, the freest, most authentic version of myself. So there was, there's pain associated with my life there, but also beautiful memories. So it's, it's a mix of, of both things. Yeah. So we moved you held it inside. And then why did your family, how old were you when you moved to the U.S.? Were you, was that for college in Tampa? Yeah, I moved to the U.S. when I was 19. So I'm 35 now. So that's 16 years ago in 2006. I moved to the U.S. I went to college here. Yeah, moving away from home was uh, kind of like the beginning of my self-discovery. Yeah. Did you feel like from Venezuela with the Catholic religion and then coming to the U.S., you had an ability to open up more or you felt like there was a different experience where, or what was the, when you finally decided to say, hey, I'm gay? Yeah, I, I, I think part of, part of what started happening was I was more exposed to different kinds of people because I feel like I grew up in, um, in a space that was very, like, just all the same kind of people, really, uh, the same sort of like social class and um, not a lot of difference in race and just a very cookie cutter part of society. And uh, I never really, I never really interacted with gay people in Venezuela. I never had examples of people that were gay and were successful and happy and, you know, not shamed for being gay or, or, you know, I, I, I never saw anyone that I, that I uh, wanted to model my life after, you know what I mean? I never had any example in my surroundings. Um, so, so I think that that's part of what started my process, just being exposed to more, more people different kinds of people. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanna, wanted to have this conversation with you too is because Jeremy, who introduced us, his brother Shane, 
was one of my best friends. We traveled together. We did the Vegas marathon together and would talk every day. And I didn't even know that he was gay. He was just my best friend. And um, it was so interesting when he finally did tell his family, but it was the shame. But then there was like this, ah, it's out. I know I'm not alone. What was that moment for you? And did not being able to be yourself affect you mentally? And what was that? And then what was the transition once you finally said, this is me? Well, it absolutely did affect me mentally uh, in in many ways. It created a, a huge amount of shame and of, you know, that turned into trauma, you know, behavior, anxious attachment, uh, trauma, trauma response and people pleasing and uh, and not only that, but, uh, you know, when I, when you're spending so much energy in trying to, uh, play a character, you mm-hmm. know, play a, a, a version of who you think you should be for other people in those very formative years of life, then when you finally, uh, are able to come out and say, you know, this is who I actually am you don't really know exactly who you actually are because all that, all those formative years where you're supposed to be developing your identity and like understanding who you are and what you like and what you don't like are spent in playing a character. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, you have to catch up, you know, you have to like start to understand who you are. Um, and and that you know that is something that like I feel like even even still nowadays I'm still like in the, in the process of like you know unlearning things and getting rid of you know shame and, and, and you know internalized homophobia perhaps and it's it's something that you know takes time to to sort of shed but um, it did affect me mentally I I'm struggled with a lot of anxiety and depression. I still do. Um, I, it's still something that like I need to work on and I need to like be in therapy and I need to like stay on top of because it's easy to fall back into those patterns, especially because all this happened in your formative years when like your brain was developing. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I know that I, that's what I always say when I'm talking to people, because I grew up with my mother who was schizophrenic and basically brainwashed me with her delusions in those formative years when your brain isn't fully developed. So then it's the undoing takes like the rest of your life. <laughs> the rest of your life. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And so are you, have you gone through therapy? Like what's in your toolkit of things to do to help you when you're feeling anxiety or depression comes on or you're slipping backwards? Well, for sure, um, therapy. I feel like it's really saved my life having that to talk with someone that is completely objective and that has nothing to do with me or my life. And that is also, of course, trained to, you know, help people with their relationship with their mind. Uh, and also to like talk about all of these things out loud. I feel like talking about these all these different problems that we may have, you know, whether it's anxiety, depression, you know, shame, guilt, uh, whatever, abuse, neglect, blah, 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 et cetera. When we hear ourselves working through things and talking things out, we, it's easy to have aha moments. Whereas we're, when we're 
just in her head. Quiet and just thinking and ruminating. Yeah, um, it's easy to just like spiral. So for sure, therapy. Also, uh, something that changed my life that I covered, I think, maybe five years ago, is meditation. Mm. Um, I can't stress it enough. It really changed my life. I do guided meditations. I found the app Headspace and I just, it really changed my life. And like routines, like a morning routine and a before bed routine, which I not always stick to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're, uh, we're um, a work in progress. Uh, so, but yeah, routines, like, like a, a morning routine, uh, waking up, meditating, journaling, and, you know, having my little rituals, like my coffee ritual, like all those things help my mind sort of work properly. I think- um, and then a nighttime routine, you know, getting ready for bed. I think we're like this, we have the same routines, but then I mean, in the past with the pandemic, I, my routines were like gone, like sleeping. Yeah. So I'm now just getting back and it's slowly. And I think like giving yourself permission to go through seasons and going out and now we're back and for myself, I'm getting back into it and it's already making me feel better. I just wanted to uh, touch on something real quick, just to tackle yeah. what you were saying. It's also not about being perfect. Yeah. Because like thinking, thinking that, you know, this idea that you always have to be, you know, in your highest self and your, you know, your, your, your highest awareness and like meditating every day. And so, yeah, great. If you can keep your routine, because it's, it'll only like do you good, but also giving yourself some, comp- like being compassionate with yourself when like you fall off the wagon a little bit and you don't do your meditations or whatever. Like we're not perfect. We're all trying. It's about holding ourselves, uh, you know, accountable or ourselves accountable, but also like understanding that we're human beings, you know, there's room for mistake. Yeah, definitely. I think some people don't even create a routine or a meditation or a workout or any, anything like that, because it's so intimidating to look at this list. Like this is what I have to do to be happy. And, And you don't, it's just, you know, the practices, can fall off the wagon and then you get back on. It's fine. And then you get back on. Oh, and for sure, working out is another one that helps me with my mental health. Yes. I want to get back to that. But before I forget this therapy question, and then we're going to talk about working yeah. out because that is really like why I got back into fitness was for my mental health. But going yeah. back to the therapy question, because I get a lot of questions from people like, that's another one. Where do I start? And then someone who is gay and coming out and wants to have a therapist, how did you go about finding the right therapist for you that would understand you? Well, a lot of people like have one or two therapy sessions with one therapist and they think that therapy is not for them. And maybe it was, it's not that therapy is not for them. Maybe they were just not talking with the right therapist. And that doesn't mean that that therapist is not a good therapist. It just means that we're different people and we have different personalities and we connect with, you know, certain people and we don't connect so much with other people. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not like therapists are not human beings. They also are human beings and they'll be more compatible with certain kinds of people and not so compatible with other kinds of people. So it's like dating. You know what I mean? You have to kiss a few frogs before you find your prince. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to kind of shop around a little bit and be patient 
and not get frustrated. But I also understand that when you are, you know, maybe going through a crisis, like in, in depression or anxiety or whatever it may be, you know, it's easy to get frustrated and to give up. But it's 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 also just remembering that it, it might take time to find the right person, and you just and it's trial and error. So. I think yeah, I would just be patient. I think that's really import, important to hear because I had a lot of people reaching out to me like, I can't find a therapist. And I loved the first, when I went back into therapy in my 30s, I had a woman who I went to for many times and I did EMDR with her for trauma. And, yeah. you know, when I first met with her, she's like, you don't have to like me. She's like, come sit down. She's like, your therapist should be someone that you want to go to and have a cup of tea. You're comfortable and you you enjoy the time there. And she's like, come see me. And you don't have to come back. And I think that's really important for everyone to know. And when you mentioned the word crisis, when you're having a crisis, there's also options just for if you're, you know, suicidal or, you know, anything. Even to, um, the big silence has a crisis line where you just text here to 741741 and you can get connected to someone immediately that can help you walk through a major crisis. Amazing. Working out in mental health. Let's explain your story with that. I've always worked out. I, I, did, I did a little bit of sports growing up. And then I kind of didn't work out that much in college. And I started working out again real hard as soon as I graduated from college. Uh, because trying to have a career in, in entertainment, um, you know, being an actor, I had to be in shape. And I gained a couple pounds in college. So I... A couple, that's not too shape, bad. <laughs> well, not a couple. It was more like 40 pounds. Okay. I gained a lot of weight. Because that was like my first two years of college when I hadn't come out of the closet and I was really, really, really depressed. And I would just like eat, you know, mm -hmm. burgers and quesadillas, fries. And yeah, and the soft serve machine was my best friend, like literally. <laughs> so I gained a bunch of weight and then um, I slowly started losing the weight when I came out of the closet and I feel better about myself because I wasn't, at, you know, emotionally eating so much. But then I, I really started working out hard and I found that after I got over the first few of getting, you know, in shape where like it sucks and everything hurts and, you know, your cardio's not great and your resistance and your strength is not quite there. And you kind of like struggle through the workout. After that, when I felt stronger and I felt, you know, more fit, I started enjoying the workout because I felt this sort of high and just like, overall sense of well-being after working out and, and that has just been the case ever since it feels like a like a time in the day that that is for me that you know that it's like non-negotiable it's my time and it's also kind of like a meditation in a way in a weird way like an active meditation mm -hmm. for me where like i'm not thinking about anything i'm just like they're doing the workout and especially if it's a hard workout it's like i only focus on on doing it and finishing it so it it takes my mind away from like you know ruminating which is kind of like my thing overthinking and then just the the, the not adrenaline high the uh endorphins, endorphins yeah. that, that you get 
And so it it just balances out my neurotransmitters and it makes me feel good and it's just it does help me a lot. There's something in this conversation that made me think and at Tone Up we we always say change is uncomfortable and you'll never regret mm-hmm. a workout. But there's a correlation between being uncomfortable and discovering meditation and sitting with with working out and getting used to it. And I I mean this morning I went to go work out and I was like, I don't want to do this. But then afterwards, hey, I had all this energy. I was exhausted because I had a, my trainer here today and he just kicked my ass. And then the core other one is therapy. Like therapy is uncomfortable. And I think it's important to let everyone know like those things are uncomfortable, but the benefits that you get from them are more than if you stayed in the place and didn't do them. Right. And our brains are hardwired to seek comfort. So mm-hmm. like... You, you're gonna gravitate towards staying comfy, but no growth happens when you're comfortable. You just have to get out of your comfort zone and uh, and expand. You know, yeah. and that has been the case for me in every aspect of my life. Like whenever I wanted to get in better shape, you have to do the harder workout. You have to run more. You have to lift heavier. Whenever I want to improve my any of my skills, well, you got to do stuff that is harder that you haven't done before, that is more challenging, that is going to take longer hours of rehearsal, that is going to take more, you know, whenever you want to solve any sort of trauma situation, you have to go there. You have to access it. When you mentioned you do EMDR, I do it too. Well, I've done it too. And mm-hmm. it's like, you, you know, it's, it's probably stuff that you've been suppressing, probably stuff that you've been, but that has stayed in that subconscious and it's running your life and it's like in your body so you have to go there you have to get uncomfortable growth and and evolution is a little painful you know growing pains it's it's just part of it no growth happens in the comfort zone exactly and so rafa mentioned emdr and i mentioned emdr if you're like what the hell is that Uh, i did a podcast with gabby bernstein and she describes it way beyond how I can describe it. (laughs) So unless you want to, but yeah, go listen to that. It's such a, but it helps with the trauma that's in your brain. And I did nine sessions and I used to be triggered easily. Mostly mine is a mother trauma. And as soon as I was done with those sessions and worked through it, I realized that my triggering had stopped. So, okay. So you graduate college, you got a bachelor's in arts and you wanted to get into acting. So then what did you move to LA? Did you? Well, I I moved to Miami because I thought, you know, I want to break into this industry. I have no idea how, I don't know anyone. I have no idea how, I have no experience, like professional experience. But I was like, well, I'm Latino, Spanish is my first language. Maybe I should try to break into the Latin industry, like the Spanish speaking industry first and sort of like get work experience there. And then I will go to LA and try to do, you know, my crossover into the English speaking market. Yeah, but didn't someone find you at your dad's office? A casting director or something? Yeah, that's, that's really <laughs> funny. That's really funny because um, that was, I was talking, it's so funny because I was talking to my friend yesterday about this because he was asking me, like, how did you start? Like, how did this whole thing start? And I always forget that that's actually like my first job. It's just that because I didn't have a lot of experience and I did that and then I didn't do anything else for like four years. I 
always forget that that was actually like the beginning of my professional career because yes, I, I was eight, 18 years old and a casting director saw a picture of me and asked my dad about me and told him you know, that if I wanted to go to her office to meet her, that she was interested in meeting me or whatever. And I um, ended up going and she gave me a scene to learn. And I didn't really have any experience. I mean, I've done this like really, really short, like two week crash course in like acting one summer when I was like 16 or something. But I'd never been in like the drama club or anything like that. Like my school didn't really have any arts. And, uh, but anyway, I guess like intuitively I knew what to do because I got the role. Yeah. And uh, I just fell in love with the, I just loved it. Like it was my first time in like a network and like seeing the different parts of the wardrobe department and the hair makeup department and actors walking around. And it just seemed like such a cool work environment. And then like, I just loved it. I fell in love with it. So I decided to, to pursue it. But then I went to college and then after college, I moved to Miami and I started, you know, knocking on different doors. I had no idea. I didn't know anyone. And sorry, at this point, were you openly gay yet? Not yet. Yeah, well, I had come out. I came out my at the end of my sophomore year in college. Okay. So I had been out for like a year. And uh, yeah, because I came out when I was 21. I didn't come out to my dad until I was 22. But I came out to like my friends and my mom and stuff. But then I didn't come out publicly so like I came out in my private life, but I didn't come out. So to go back a year and a half, a year and eight months after moving to Miami, I got my first like break. I got a role in a Nickelodeon Latin America kids show, Nickelodeon Latin America show. And that sort of like kickstarted my career. But I was closeted, like publicly closeted. Um, and I was for many years for like, six or seven it's like six years oh so you're and, still like um you're still hiding i i was i was open in my private life but i still fe- felt like it was not a good idea to come out well it was also different back in 2011 you know yeah. and and because fast forward like four years i i did empire uh, and i played a gay character and my first scene in the pilot um, with the other gay character in the show, we we kiss because we're a couple and we kiss, and that demoed really bad. Like people still were were really yeah. like n- not comfortable with seeing two men kissing on a major network primetime show. Yeah. So like, and this is 2014. So like, that's not too it long was ago. Still, right. It was. It's, it was not too long ago. No, and it was still. So it was still scary. And my old rap was like, maybe you should. You should you should keep this you know private. You should keep your sexuality private or whatever, because like you know you want to play all different kinds of roles, and this might pigeonhole you or limit your career or whatever. So I was scared. I was thinking of something because you said you had a short little two week course or something in acting, but earlier mm-hmm. you said that you were playing a character your entire life and you were right. acting. So, well, I, mean, I definitely feel like I I had the like personality type of an actor you know the different characteristics that normally actors share which are like you a, a really good observer and they just want to entertain people and make people laugh and like uh, a little bit of a desire to be validated 
and to be seen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like for sure I I used my innate, you know, acting talent or acting ability in my closeted years. You you were an expert. You already had yeah. <laughs> classes. You you lived. I it. have been doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your advocacy for the LGBTQ and also for immigration advocacy and why all of that is important to you and how you're actively doing that and what your message to anyone listening is. Well, I feel like for me, I feel incredibly lucky to be in the situation that I'm in right now, just as far as, you know, being able to have a platform and people interested in knowing my point of view and my perspective um, and, and seeing my work and just being interested in me. And also a big responsibility with my younger self in um, being person that I needed when I was growing up and didn't have. So that's where it all stems from. I have this uh, sort of like mantra that I try to live by, which is be who you needed when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it all comes from. I'm an immigrant in this country and I'm a gay person in the world and I'm a Latino man uh, in this country. So I feel a huge responsibility to be visible to be vocal about, you know, what I think is fair and what I think is unfair and to to show kids out there that may be living in harsh situations, gay kids that are rejected by their parents, that are bullied in school and also like immigrants that are having a really hard time that we are here and we are valid and we have a space and we we are deserving and worthy. So that's just where it comes from. I feel like being openly gay as a Latino man, and an immigrant in this country, uh, especially with a big platform is an act of advocacy in a way, you know? So, and then, you know, I support different foundations on every.org. Every.org is a nonprofit that I'm really passionate about that connects donors with uh, nonprofits and makes the process of donating really, really, really easy and enjoyable. And it's sort of like a social media platform in a way because you can follow people that are that inspire you and you can see who they're donating and why. Um, so that's sort of the vehicle, one of the vehicles that I try to do my advocacy through. Yes, uh, I, I do want to be visible and I want to make an impact in that way, but I also want to be, you know, supporting the nonprofits that are out there on the ground, like doing the work. Yeah. I mean, and that's a legit nonprofit, which we'll put that in the show notes too, for anyone listening yeah. who wants to check it out. And then, okay. So how do you see the difference between homosexuality in the nineties and now, and how has it changed for being more accepted? And what is your hope for the future? Well, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot more information out there. Uh, there's there's more language. There's a bigger understanding uh, about 
what sexuality really is, which is not a binary thing where like there's heterosexuals and homosexuals. It's a spectrum and it really is all like all these concepts are really just man-made. They're not real. You know, at the end of the day, we should worry about being good people. And we all know what being good is kind and generous and uh, compassionate. And if you are that, then who you fall in love with, regardless of sex, doesn't really matter. But yeah, I think that there's a broader understanding that sexuality is a spectrum and, and that it's amoral. It's not a conversation of morality, really. It's just what it is. I do think that when there's progress, there is backlash. Mm-hmm. So we've made a huge Tremendous progress, especially over the past 10 and even more dramatically in the past five years, especially with the uh, conversation about gender, giving light to the uh, transgender community and to the non-binary community. And uh, we all know how much backlash we're getting from the conservative side uh, trying to ban trans kids from playing and or banning trans kids from playing sports and all of this terrible backwards sort of narrative that we are having to deal with right now at the moment. But um, I mean, there has been massive progress, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. I do have hope for the future uh, because I feel like the newer generations, we were raised by baby boomers and we had to unlearn a bunch of stuff but we did, a huge percentage of us did unlearn a lot. And then now we are, millennials are having kids and hopefully these kids are going to be even more evolved. So I try to think in those terms. I try to think, you know, every generation has more information. And I saw a post the other day saying that more kids identify as LGBTQA now, more now than ever. And uh, I think that... I think that there aren't more LGBTQ people. It's just that more people are, are free enough to like be, uh, live authentically. Yeah. Um, that's, and I think that's, that's a good thing. And, and that's a good thing. And also then hopefully that will help with the mental health crisis that is going on too, as everyone can just be themselves. But, yeah. Um, so I want to ask you one more question. So. You're shooting your last season of Dynasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many seasons have you been on? Five. Five. So yeah. what's next? Where can people find you? Are you moving from Atlanta or are you going to stay there and sweat? You know what? Talking about mental health, this has been a time where I have had to really hold on to my tools to keep myself, you know, in, in a good space. Because even though I feel ready, to move on from Dynasty, just like creatively, I feel like I feel like I want other things, and uh, you know, I'm ready for the next challenge. It's like a breakup, you know what I mean? It's like it's like it's a big life change. So um, it I I have been feeling sort of anxious and overwhelmed, but also super excited and uh, ready for my next sort of challenge and my next adventure. Um, at the moment, I'm like trying to enjoy my last two months of, of, of shooting Dynasty. And then I'm going to take a little break 
just to like shed um, the, my dynasty skin and like regroup and like figure out what I want. And I think I'm going to be back and forth from LA. There's a ton of things that I want to do out there. And just as far as like, you know, me as a creative, uh, not necessarily an actor, but you know, there's, there's, there's projects that I want to develop that I've been wanting to develop, but I've been so busy with dynasty. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'm, but I'm really excited about it. I love not knowing necessarily what the future is, but just feeling uh, change is good to me. I get excited yeah. for change. Some people live in fear of change, but there's time for growth. There's time for other passions. I'm all for one to keep moving and, you know, it's exciting and scary at the same time. Yeah, but. it is exciting. It's, you know, it's been five years of, of being in a successful show and, and, and it's also a long season. It's a 22 episode season. So we shoot pretty much all year. So it's like, it's been great to have that stability mm-hmm. and it's a little bit daunting <laughs> to, to like get out back into the world and, you know, the audition grind and, but mostly exciting to be honest, because I feel like I really want to stretch my acting muscle and I really want to, I want to play another character. I've been playing the same character for five years. So, so I'm really excited about the possibilities. I'm really, really welcoming and embracing change at the moment. Yeah. I love that. And I know you are going to do great and I can't wait to see what you're doing next. And keep Thank following you. you. Thank you for spending this time with us and sharing it your wisdom. My pleasure. I appreciate it. I really, really appreciate you brought me on to your podcast. I really appreciate that you're doing this. I feel like we need more spaces like this that we have, the better. Uh, I grew up in a household that was very, like, we don't talk about these things. We don't yeah. talk about oh. health. We don't talk about this. We don't talk about that. And I feel like the best thing that we can have is community and being able to like not be shy and, uh, and ashamed of our humanity. If we can just like share our human experience and realize that we're all going through the same things and we're all sort of like trying to figure out yeah. a lot of our our issues. Yeah, it's part of the healing today. too. I, yeah. yeah, I appreciate you, Karina. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love. The type of love that will defeat anxiety. The type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. The big silence. 
The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence.